Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonix therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to, your po- to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to, to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Once again, we are talking NBA free agency. For the third week in a row, it seems like as soon as we finish recording, somebody else gets traded or, is ends, up on, or ends up on the move. I'm DJ, joined by Kelsey and Kelsey. Another move in the NBA free agency. This time, Russell Westbrook, the Brody, going to Houston to join his old pal James Harden and Chris Paul heading to the Midwest at Oklahoma City. Yeah, it's kind of a shock, I guess we should say. The reunion of uh, with Harden and Westbrook and... Chris Paul being left out on the island by himself now. Um, I, I do call OKC an island, even though it's landlocked. Because let's be honest, there's not much going on in Oklahoma City. The way they get hit by tornadoes and floods, they might end up being an island here before too long, unfortunately. But yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting. We were just talking about Oklahoma City, like what were they going to do with free agency? And getting Chris Paul doesn't really doesn't hurt him at all. I mean, it it definitely helps put Stephen Adams with somebody who can get him a nice couple alley oops with Chris Paul and. 
unfortunately for Paul, I mean, he's got to take that offensive load now. But we'll see. I mean, if there's a guy that's, you know, in his career has proven he can do it, it's definitely Chris Paul. But on the flip side, the main person on that trade, the Westbrook trade, it'll be interesting to see how he go, meshes with Harden again. It's been seven years, and they've both become offensive powerhouses. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how they mix. A lot has changed since the last time they played together. I'm going to jump back to Chris Paul and OKC because I wonder what they're planning on doing because they basically have said, hey, we are tanking. We are building for the future. We are good but not good enough. So here's Paul George. Here's here's Russell Westbrook. Hell, here's, let's trade Steven Adams while we're at it. It looks like they're clearing house. You're not going to be able to trade CP3's contract most likely – so I wonder if they're just planning on eating that contract and drafting young players and going through with it, or if they have something in mind, because Sam Presti, for all of his shenanigans and losing all these great players over the years, he still drafted them. He still was competitive. Year in and year out. I almost wonder if they have a plan in mind to trade CP3 to somebody else, maybe a contending team that has a good young piece that'd be willing to part with it. Because they do have Shea Alexander, who's a really nice player to build around now. Maybe you get a couple young guys who just haven't proven themselves, then draft all the parts around them. CP3, I don't think is. There's a good chance he's not staying in OKC very long. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I, I was actually talking to get one of my buddies at work who is from Oklahoma City. He's a, is a Thunder fan. I'm sorry um, to him. Yeah, exactly. I said, I said the same thing. And uh, you know, he was he was lamenting the trade, but he, he said he you know he's optimistic because if they keep Chris Paul. That's a that's a Hall of Famer at point guard. It's something worth watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It brings puts puts butts in the seat. But at the same time, if they are able to flip Paul for a bunch of young assets or even just a couple young assets and some trade picks or some draft picks, and that'd be uh that'd be something interesting there. But I don't know. I actually kind of like Chris Paul just staying there. Um, I think that off that team is set up for his play style, especially now that he's older. He's kind of that Jason Kidd style aging. Where he just, you know, he'll run the offense. It's not going to stick in his hands. But he knows how to pop a three here and there if he needs to. He knows how to get to the basket and get points. Health is a big thing with him, though, whether he stays healthy. But you mentioned Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Yeah, he's a he's a young up-and-comer. I mean, you kind of got to sit there and look at that trade for, from the Clippers to OKC. And he's just kind of like, well, I got traded for Paul George, so I should feel pretty good about myself, you know? And they didn't want to trade him either. They're like, we won't trade him. We won't trade him. We won't trade him. Okay, Kawhi wants us to trade him. We'll trade him. We'll get you, Paul exactly. George. But they were they were really hesitant about getting rid of him. Yeah, and, and you know, you mentioned, you know, maybe if he does get, maybe if Chris Paul does get traded, though, go to some contender. And you, you got L.A. out there, still sitting out there, young talent in Kyle Kuzma, somebody that could be worth that million, couple million dollar contract if OKC is willing to hold on to the money and pay for it. I mean, you sit there and look at that and you're like, well, if LA trades Kuz for Chris Paul, you got half of the banana boat together. Will Carmelo come out of retirement and finish oh, it off? Let's just bring Carmelo and Wade into uh, the best team of 2010 rolling in right now. Here's <laughs> one trade I've been seeing a little bit of rumors about in some of the shows and reports. Talk about trading Chris Paul to the Sixers for Ben Simmons. And then obviously filling in some some parts around it. But basically, OKC would get a young stud in Ben Simmons. You could draft shooters, defenders, stuff that builds around him. Because him and Bede, Horford, I don't know how that's going to work. That's a big lineup, but no one can shoot. Chris Paul can shoot a little. He can run the offense. He won't he won't have to be crowded in space, basically, with Embiid and Horford in the paint. He can distribute. He can shoot. He can also just get out of the way. Where Ben Simmons, if he doesn't have the ball and isn't driving, penetrating, and dishing, he's very limited. I mean, he can defend, but... I like you have Chris Paul, Josh Richardson in the backcourt can both shoot. Then you'll have Embiid and Horford in the front line. 
that's a big front line. I think that bounces out a little bit nicer than when that Ben Simmons right now is too big. And then OKC, you get a young superstar again. who Hopefully he'll stay there. We'll see if you want to even stay. But you can build around him, and he can be set up to thrive there too. Well, Ben Simmons did just sign that huge deal too, that huge extension. So he is locked in the contract for another six years. So is Paul George yeah. and all those other guys. So we've learned so, contracts are not contracts. No but, they, I mean, it evens out money-wise on that trade. I mean, cap, like cap space-wise, you're not really losing. You're not really kidding, getting hit for anything. It's pretty much an even swap. So that's something to think about, too. I mean, if they are going to trade him, it might be for somebody like a Ben Simmons who just signed a huge contract, and that cap space is going to be a pretty even swap. So that might be something to look for. And I do think he would fit in with the Sixers, but I don't know if he could handle the Embiid and all the antics that come with Embiid. Like, he had a hard enough time, obviously, with, with Harden, with Blake Griffin, you know, and, and, and they're outside of the court fun stuff, I guess you should you should call it. And don't get me wrong, Chris Paul is, is not immune to any of it by any means. I mean, he did leave the lead the riot in, in Staples back into the Clippers locker room. So, I mean, you know, he's got himself a little chip on his shoulder. So, I don't know. I just I, I think he would fit well with the Sixers, but could he mesh with the personalities is my big question for him. And do the Sixers even bother wanting to get rid of Simmons? He is a young, I'm not going to call him a superstar, but he's a young, super talented player, even though he still has not learned how to shoot anything outside the paint. But at the same time, Embiid is awesome, but he's kind of flaky in some games, and there's always something with him. In the playoff game, oh, my knees are sore. Oh, my God, I'm sick. There's always something with him. If you have to pick between those two, do you pick him or Simmons? I mean, Embiid's arguably the best center in the league, or top three. And Ben Simmons a top ten point guard, but probably not top five. Definitely. So that's but, kind of a tough pick. Do you go health, or do you go potential when healthy? Well, then that's true, but... If you look at the team involved in the Thunder, I mean, they're kind of used to their point guard not being able to shoot threes. They're, they have adapted to it pretty well. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's they they were a playoff contender for, and a, heck, a Western Conference contender for the entire Westbrook tenure there. And the guy can't shoot a three-pointer to save his life for the and most part. Catches, he likes to shoot them, too. He shot a lot of them where Ben has shot 17 in two years, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, at least at least with Ben, he, he knows what he's good at, and he's not going to just you know, jack up random threes. They do, and they do have pieces in OKC. They got Roberson there to shoot threes. They do, you know, they have they have young pieces to shoot on the outside, but they also got big guys down low that can help them out. So I think for Ben Simmons, that wouldn't be a bad trade for him because it would split him from being known as the Embiid-Simmons duo and get him his chance to be in his limelight, you know. And I think he wouldn't have to stand around as much like he ends up doing in Philly. I think a lot of times he's had a lot of games where he scores zero, two, four points and doesn't do much. But anyway, we're going back to the trade now. We talked about the CP3 side of it. Now we look at the Harden and the Westbrook side of it. Two of the, the last two MVPs, basically. Two of the last three. You have basically the triple-double machine and the closest thing to him possible in James Harden. When I look at them, they are the exact same player that stuffed the stat sheets by any means possible. Harden's just a better shooter where Russ is more athletically ridiculous. Neither one plays that great of defense, honestly. I mean, like they, they have their moments, but neither one's going to be known to lock anybody up. I think this could be an explosively fun, dynamic duo to watch, but I'm not too sure it's going to result... There's going to be a whole lot of change. There'll still be a fourth, fifth type seat if I look at it. Yeah, I mean, no, you're definitely, definitely onto something with that. I, it's, I will say with Harden, his triple-doubles seem to come more in the flow of a game, whereas Russ, especially this last season, he was he was chasing stats. He wasn't, he wasn't out there just playing his game. He was chasing stats. He saw himself get a triple-double the first year, and he's like... 
I want to do that again. I want to do something nobody else has done. Nobody ever believed me, believed that I can do. So, you know, I think, I think that's interesting. Can Russ take a step back and be that facilitator he'll need to be for Harden? And on the flip side of that, can Harden not control the ball over 60% of the trips down the court? You think he only controls the 60? I look at it, it's like 99. If he's on the court, he has the ball. Like, if they both had a basketball, the, the base of the competition would be who can dribble it till it goes flat first, and they would... That's what it looks like. Honestly, I think this duo could work. The one weird part about it is in Mike D'Antoni's offense, I don't think it could work. Because D'Antoni's offense is usually built about around one guy dominating the ball, kicking it to finding open shooters. Russ is not your shooter, and James Harden, he's not a spot-up shooter by any means. Like, He's a shot creator, and Russ is a driver and pe- basically a penetrate and dish kind of guy, which Harden does as well. Neither one of them is going to play off the ball very well. And I don't think you can... CP3 is a little easier to... S- balance it out a little bit because he's a more distribute happy guard he shoots the mid-range Russ not as much like he used to have that amazing mid-range where he'd sprint head first and then pull up at the free throw line is money but now I don't feel comfortable with him shooting anything outside of a layup or a dunk so I think if they had a different offensive game plan these two could work better but with D'Antoni's everybody stand on the perimeter and watch one guy dance the whole time I think that's going to be where it kind of falls apart honestly well honestly I, I don't know I think actually D'Antoni for me D'Antoni's system might be the best thing for him to work uh, because it is based around speed too. I mean, it's all based around getting up and down the court, getting uh, you know, getting as many possessions as possible. And it's like, I don't think you can have a better point guard to do that in Russell West than you know what Westbrook does. It's whether or not he is facilitator Russ or I'm going to jack up stupid shots because I'm Russ. You know, that's I feel like that's what it's going to come down to is whether they get good Russ or bad Russ, and whether or not they get. Honestly, I, I think this could be the return of James, the defense of James Harden, who saw in OKC, that guy that came in off the bench that was just... Now, he's not going to come in off the bench here, obviously, but we might see him actually try to play defense and actually, you know, not demand the ball every time. I mean, it's... Don't get me wrong, he plays defense when he wants to, but we could actually see him play a full... I won't say a full season, but maybe 60 games of defense compared to his current 20 games of defense. You know, it's like... We, we might be able to see that James Harden because he doesn't have to shoulder all the load offensively. I'll believe it when I see it, but I definitely do think a different offense would be... And, and don't get me wrong, in transition, this team, when they're running, this will be a fun team with Westbrook running, Harden running. It'll be fun. I'm thinking in the half quarters where I can see them struggling when the game slows down a little bit. Yeah. And that kind of leads us. We talk about them as a duo. The NBA has basically turned from this big three, quote-unquote, era of puke where teams stack the deck with three or four teams and just overload it. Now it's basically dynamic duos across the board and who can fill out the, who can fill out the side parts a little bit better. And I kind of like it. it I know I'd say it balances the league out a little bit more, but it makes it a little more intriguing. So that makes me wonder, who do you think are the top five... You know, let's go top ten NBA duos since every team has a duo now, basically. There's, they're all across the board. If you had to rank them, we'll go ten to five first. How would you go? You know, let's just, let's just do one through ten. Let's just do it all. Let's not one through ten, all right. We'll start, start at the beginning. Well, first of all, let me just say, yeah, I, this is the competitive balance that the NBA has been seeking for I don't know how many years. Thank you, Kawhi the Giant Slayer, for bringing this back. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that you know the guy who demands a, a trade for a one guy is bringing us back into a, a duo system a la Pippen and Jordan. So, But uh, no, it's, I think number one, number one duo is it's hard to say it's not going to be LeBron and Anthony Davis. You look at it on paper, you have the best player in the, in the world right now. Well, let me phrase that. Should be the best player in the world right now in LeBron James, who has successfully for the last 
however many years, 14 years or whatever he is, he's been one of the best players on the court. Best player in the league for the last eight years, probably. Yeah, honestly. absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, so you have him, and you have Anthony Davis, who is honestly, in my opinion, probably the heir apparent to LeBron taking the face of the NBA over. He's he doesn't do anything wrong, really. I mean, his his worst thing wrong is he he wore his Looney Tunes shirt last year after demanding a trade. Like, oh no, you want to leave New Orleans? Like, so I feel so not bad for you at all. Like, good job. But I think they're number one in my opinion. Just what they can do on the court defensively and offensively, especially if LeBron plays defense. It's that's that's a team that could be unstoppable. I mean, I'm not even looking at the pieces around them, but with the pieces around them, you you include them, and they don't need much. I mean, LeBron's done done a lot more with a whole lot less, and now he has Anthony Davis, Boogie, um, Kuz. I mean, as a team, they're definitely a force to be reckoned with. I question them at number one for the duos, but I'll let you finish first before I jump in. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just hard for me. I look at duos across the board, and I'm just like. In one season in a playoff game, I think that I don't think there's a better, better duo that I would want in crunch time that wouldn't, after the play, complain to the other and say that they cost me the game. Um, with that said, though, I think number two becomes the guy we just talked about, the Giants Slayer, Kawhi and Paul George. And, you know, obviously I'm, people are going to look at this and they're going to be like, oh, wow, you didn't put KD and Kyrie in your top two? Well, yeah, I'll get to that in a second, but... I definitely think Kawhi and Paul George are number two. And just for the sake of it, we'll say it. We'll say this just in general. We're not gonna be like just for next year because we know Katie's not playing next year. Yeah. You know, guys, some of the guys are out for next year. So we're just gonna say like on paper, who's the best duos? Like, yeah, for the next five years. Like for the next five years, if they stay together, this is kind of my. If everyone's healthy, we'll just count yeah. it that way, basically. Yeah. So I mean, I, I Kawhi and Kawhi and PG. We talked about this in the last podcast. It's offensively pick your poison. I mean, they can both do it all, whether it's inside outside. You know, posting up, running the offense, being a facilitator. They can do it all. I mean, don't get me wrong, Kawhi definitely needs to tighten up his, his handles. But he's – I don't I don't know if I'd rather – I don't – honestly, I think their problem is who do you pick in crunch time? And then the best part about that is is if you're, if you're, the, if you're the Clippers, the team defending you in crunch time is going to be like, crap, who do we guard in crunch time? Like, do we guard Paul? Do we guard Kawhi? Like – I take my chances with Paul as awesome as he is. Kawhi has shown to be that dude so far, especially yeah. in the playoffs, where Paul's like, well, you are really good, and you do have that Gatorade commercial where you call ball game, but let's see you call ball game in this game. But at the same time, you do not feel comfortable with that either. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's. it, it really is one of your pick-your-poisons. I, I mean, and again, their, their, surrounding duo, their, their surrounding pieces are even better set up to be successful long-term. Uh, number three is, is this is where I stick uh, KD and Kyrie. I just... I think offensively, I don't think there's a better offensive duo. Defensively, though, Kyrie. Kyrie has a lot of holes in his defensive game. Except when he's playing Steph Curry in the finals in that one 2016 year. Yeah. The only time we really saw it, too. When he gets challenged. When he gets challenged by somebody and he's told that he needs to step up to you know do something. So basically when LeBron got in his face and said, hey, you need to step up, that was when he decided he'd actually play defense. So, you know... D- is he able to self-motivate himself to be that good defensively all the time is the question. And KD, I mean, coming off of this level of an injury, we saw it with Kobe. It was just like he came off this Achilles injury, and it was just game over, basically. I mean, it was a hollow man of Kobe that we had never seen Kobe look human before, and Kobe looked human after Achilles. So what does and, KD do? And literally 10 minutes before that injury, Kobe is having arguably his best season. He's averaging like 28 on 45, 46% shooting. He was shooting well from three. Like that was probably the best Kobe we'd seen too, and that's maybe not the best, but one of the top two or three Kobe years before that injury too. So exactly. that Achilles is 
it's a career killer, unfortunately. Like, we've seen guys bounce back, like you said, and Bronx KD, he's so dang lengthy, being seven feet tall and 110 pounds, that his legs and his feet, his knees, they're just, they take a beating. Like, we see the tall, we see those big guys, when their knees start to go, it's over. You're, they have feet injuries, Bill Walton back in the day. I'm wondering, I know KD's not a traditional big man, but these lower extremity injuries might be catching up to him. Yeah, no, those, uh, I, I can speak from my own <laughs> success with lower injury, lower leg injuries. It's It changes everything. I mean, it changes everything from just the way you jump to take a jump shot to the way you land to the way you take your first step after on a move. Like, it's going to be different for him, especially, I mean, he's such a, such an explosive type of player where it's like quick movements. I mean, he's lanky, lanky, so he has to have that quickness to get by people, but at the same time, he is lanky enough that he can just kind of reach over everybody with his... 10-foot wingspan and just be like, oh, guys, by the way, I'm great. Like, So we'll see. I mean, I think he'll be great. I think he'll be good. But like, as we saw Gordon Hayward coming off the injury, it's kind of... That first year, it's like, well, am I back? Exactly. You second-guess yourself as an athlete, and that's something that these guys have never had to do before. So this is why I kind of stick them at three. I, they're, they're probably the most likely out of the so far of the guys I've named to possibly drop come once that both pieces are healthy. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, as far as right now, that's where they're, I'm going to keep them because just offensively, they're so good when they're rolling. It's, uh, I mean, pick your poison again. It's, do you want KD shooting over the top of you? Do you want KD driving past you? Do you want Kyrie, you know, basically making you look like the biggest idiot that stepped on, on foot onto Rucker Park? Like, what do you, what do you want to look like right now? Like, hello, two left ankles, basically. Yeah. Or hell, no ankles. Like he, he will, he will take you to the hospital and bring you back just to make you look bad. Um, so I don't know. I think I think offensively they're just so good, but defensively I have just a lot of questions. Um, that's my third. So fourth, fourth is where it gets weird because this is where I start choosing between guys that are like CJ and Dame or young guys like Luca and Kristaps. For me, this is where I start running into these issues where I'm like, oh boy, like do I go youth or do I go Dame? And and for me, four is at this point in time I got to give it to Dame and CJ. Because Dame is just so good. I will say a little bit biased because I'm a big Damian Lillard fan. I think if he's not the best point guard in the league, he's top two. I mean, I know he struggled in that playoff series against the Warriors, but it's tough when you have Clay and Draymond, the entire team's coming at you. When you pass off to anyone else, they struggle. I mean, CJ is awesome. He can get you buckets, but no one else on that team inspired any fear. I mean, Enos Cantor played his butt off in that series against the Nuggets, but he's not really inspiring any fear. I mean, Mo Harklet, not Mo Harkless, um, I can't Alfred, remember. Alfaro Camino? Alfaro Camino, yeah. He's the most useless offensive player in the world. His jump shot's not really scaring anybody. Rodney Hood came on and he had his moments, and that really made the difference in the Nugget series. So, I mean, they have a. I think this will be fun. Evan Turner wasn't doing a whole lot for him. So, I think Damon Lillard's awesome, and I agree with you. Like, him alone basically keeps them up in that echelon. And plus, CJ's awesome. He's a fringe all star himself. Yeah. So. And CJ's getting better. I mean, he's only, what, five years in the league now? Something like that, yeah. It's so, I mean, it's less than his seven years that usually you see a lot of guys start hitting their peak at. And, I mean, Dame's right there in the same area. It's about seven years he's been in the league. Came in with Anthony Davis. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're talking two guys that wow offensively from the guard position but not just wow offensively wow defensively i don't know as if you're a, if you're a backcourt duo and you're going into portland to play those two you're kind of like well i'm chalking myself up to 10 points and two assists and no rebounds today like i'll be lucky to get that i think if you make them work defensively they do wear down like you just can't let them you can't let them take their pace into the game you have to make them work from the get-go which steph and clay do a lot because they run all over the place i don't know how they yeah. never they never get tired it's like because 
it's like playing 2K where you have to use the trigger to chase them when they're jogging, basically. Yeah. So no. I think teams like that can give them trouble defensively, but when they can just get in the groove offensively and ease into defense, I think they could be difficult. But when you go at them, we kind of see their defense take a dip really quickly. Like yeah. they're either all the way up to like you said, ten and two, where they're like, well, they're here's it's a shootout, thirty to thirty five. Who's gonna get the thirty five? And that's the thing though with them is is yeah, maybe they might not have a great game defensively, but they seem to be one of like. Between the two, the two, one of them will always pick up the slack. It seems like, and when it, when they don't, we saw it in the playoff series. Like, well, crap, they lost that game because well, they only averaged between the two of them forty points for the the losses. You know, like that sucks. But when when those two are rolling, it is, I think hands down they're the best backcourt duo at this point in time. But I mean, that's because we haven't seen Harden and what Russ together yet. But as far as what we've seen on on paper. When they're at the top of their game, I feel like they're the best because they do play defense. I think when when you get that game six clay, basically, yeah. with Steph Curry not in the finals, basically, I think they're a little bit better just because Clay is better at the best defensive player out of all of them, and I think offensively it's a wash between all four of them. But I get you. I'm a big fan of Dame and CJ, too, and I think they get kind of a bad rap because of losing to the Warriors. Everybody besides Kawhi loses to, and LeBron lose to the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing really wrong with it. I know Dame struggled mightily. He had some terrible numbers. One game he had one field goal, but he's a small guy going up against that team. It's tough to score. They play defense. Dame's still a top two or three point guard in the league. He should have been first team All-NBA this year. Steph missed too many games. Dame carried a big load this year. Dame should have been first team All-NBA for the last two years. He should have got this year. But I agree with you. That duo is fantastic. Yeah, and and like I said about, you know, with uh, KD and Kyrie, as far as movement-wise... I think on this list, I feel like these two have the most upside to them just because they're still building on what they already have. And if they can keep themselves together with a supporting cast that they are, they are building in Portland right now, that seems just like... If you look at it on paper, you're just like, wow, this is a sneaky super team. Like This team can actually do something in the playoffs. If they get Whiteside, that wants to upgrade his 2K rating Whiteside from like 2015 <laughs> before he got paid... All those things you said about their defense, you can probably watch them. Because even if they're struggling getting into it, that guy protecting the rim, plus Nurkic when he comes back. Yeah. Nurkic, sorry, not you. Nurkic, plus the other parts they have, Rodney Hood bringing him back, that's a nice pickup. And, and you, you know, you talk about Nurkic. That, he's coming off a big entry, but he now has Hassan he can rely on for defense. So that's that team just look on paper, they seem to – every player that they could place in a, on a lineup seems to cover another one's deficit. And he kind of got injured like it was in that Marchish area, so it was kind of late in the season. So, But it wasn't in the playoffs, so I think he can say he comes back in March to say it's a year injury. I know it looked way worse, and you can't count me. I think for like the second round of the playoffs, he can be back to 80 to 90% of what he was before the injury. Back, okay, I can contribute heavily. I can help us win a series. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I, so, CJ and Dame are my fourth spot. And I, I mentioned Luca and Kristaps, but I'll get to them in a second. You mentioned Clay and Steph. I'll get to them in a second as well. Um, but I mean, we just talked about it. Started off to to bring the the episode in uh, Russ and James. I, I have to put them at five. I know we haven't seen them in a while, but we have seen a version of them in their youth. And that version of them in the youth was yeah, there was KD with them, but those two when they were on the court by themselves were still must see TV. I mean, you're talking old man game Harden, and you're talking the explosive Westbrook that is just so fun to watch. 
And, you know, Westbrook's kind of came into that same region lately where defensively you're just kind of like, what are you doing, guy? Like, where's it's that great defense we used to see? Steal or bust, basically. It's like, I'll get yeah. a steal or I'm giving up a bucket. Exactly. It's, you know, so if he can turn around defensively and James can play start playing defense again and, and if they turn out to mesh well on offense, they're, that, they give, they're, they're right now, due to Clay's injury, the second best duo in backcourt right now. Notice I said due to Clay's injury, like I said, I'll get to that in a second. But I just think Russ and Russ and James have a lot they need to prove, but they've already proven so much with what they did previously that this could be a fun duo to watch for a long time coming. They do have they have a little bit of that chemistry already built. Granted, it's been a long time, but like pretty much everyone we've mentioned, which I, I'm going to get to here when I do my top five before we continue going, they have a little bit of that built-in chemistry. A lot of these other teams, they're just they're going at it right now. This is their first time together, so. I think that could help smooth the edges a little bit. So maybe instead of starting nine and nine like the big three he did, a lot of teams kind of struggle. They could probably come out of the gate with like a ten and three type record. So yeah, that's a good point with them. Before we get on to the rest of your top ten, I'm gonna jump with my top five so they're not too far spaced. Yeah, no, that's, that's probably the best idea. So for number one, I like everything you said about LeBron and Anthony Davis. I agree with everything you said except I don't know how they're gonna mesh. I I don't trust LeBron's jump shot consistently. I. He's very streaky. When he's on, like the Miami LeBron, it's number six LeBron. I was hoping he'd wear number six this year and we'd get that LeBron again. But thanks to Nike contracts, he has to wear 23 for one more year, it looks like. So I love everything you said about them. Offensively, probably the best duo, if not the second best. But I don't, neither one's really a shooter. They both like to attack the lane. LeBron's defense, we'll see what he does. I mean, we'll see. Playmaking, though, probably the best playmaker. I don't, he's still the best point guard in basketball, even though he doesn't play point guard. If he stays at just point guard and averages like 22, 12, and 8, best point guard. Like, he's everything that we want Ben Simmons to be and some. Like, yeah. that's where I think he's... So I have them at number two. I know I started at number two. That's kind of odd, but, like, no, you no, mentioned I, him as yeah. your number one. and I like, For me, number one, I'm still going with Kawhi and Paul George. I, just because they both, you know you're going to get lockdown defense... In a perimeter-oriented game, like let's say you met, they go against, let's just say, Damon CJ, there's not really a three on that team that worries you a lot. So you could put Patrick Beverly on the three, then put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on Damon CJ. It's like, oh, geez, not only are we facing the two best perimeter defenders, they are also five inches taller than us, if not more, and they can give us the business offensively. I think that's the type of... That's the type of diversity they bring. Neither one's coming off an injury. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's coming off one of the best finals runs we've seen since Dirk Nowitzki, arguably. And Paul George, that shoulder, a little weary, but he was still playing in that playoff series. And he did pretty well. I mean, like, those games where Russ was shooting 10 of 31, Paul George was helping keep him in them. He's, like, that shot Dame hit, Paul George is right there. Like, I mean, you can't ask for better defense. That's some 2K BS, basically, that he pulled off on that one. So you can't blame BG, PG for that one. He said it's a bad shot. I wouldn't call it a bad shot, but it's it's a tough shot. And he should have been defensive player of the year. So you have two top. If Kawhi plays more games, he's an MVP candidate too. He's top three. Yeah. So you have those two. So I'm going Kawhi number one and LeBron and Anthony number two. I like that. I, I will say this about Paul George that the reason why I didn't. This is kind of. You talked about the Dame series. And yeah, his shoulder was a little messed up, but Paul's. Dame showed him his. His tail in that series, like when it came down to it, no one was stopping Dame. That Dame series, was not Dame was playing out of his mind. So, and that's just one guard. I mean, don't get me wrong. We talk. He he's probably the best guard in the West, and especially in the league. Uh, but Paul George is supposed to be one of the best defenders in the league. And my only question that comes up with those two at at the top is whether they can 
because they're so identical defensively, and I mean for that matter, their offensive game is so identical. Is it just too much of the same thing? And that's very possible. Like that's it's very possible. That's what we were talking about. Like all these teams, it depends how they mesh. I'm just thinking, yeah. like let's say I'm coaching the team and I could pick a duo. They're gonna be the one I pick for the way I'd like to coach them. No doubt. And picking Anthony Davis and LeBron is nowhere near wrong. I mean, it's one <laughs> yeah. A and one B, really. No, it's and it is, and it's it's honestly the only reason I, I lean more towards LeBron and AD is at, you saw what they did in the Olympics together with LeBron playing point point Bron. I mean, that was. AD was flying out of his mind. He got player of the tournament, and you know, in the FIBA tournament and the, and the Olympics. So it's like, I don't know. I know he's not the same Anthony Davis, but I don't know. I feel like LeBron's more likely to be point Bron this season and and do that type of stuff. So uh, that's why I, that's I just I just feel I don't know. I, I I can't choose. I can't say like you're wrong either. I'm just like for me, this is why I chose that side compared to what the the, the route you went. I feel like it's pretty unanimous. Those are the top two duos right now on paper. I think everyone agrees with that. I mean, it's unfortunately, if anyone's tuning here for something different, I apologize so far it's been the exact same. This is where mine gets a little bit different, I promise. So if you're still tuning in, this is where things change a little bit. For me, number three, this is a very unorthodox pick, and I kind of hate it because I don't really like one of these guys because his face when he plays annoys me. But I'm putting Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic number three. Okay. I, Jamal Murray is awesome. He stepped up his game big time, but his face when he plays he, it, he has a very arrogant looking face I hate to say that because he seems like a nice guy but anyway he averaged 22 points a game in the postseason Jokic is the best passing big man in since who knows how long probably as good if not better than Tim he, Duncan he might be the best all around big man not named Anthony Davis he might even be better as a big man than Anthony Davis he can't stretch the floor quite as well but down on the block that, that'll be fun I mean I know DeMarcus took it to him a few times with the Warriors and He's not a defender by any means. Jokic is not scaring you, but he shoots floaters like a prime CP3. He can hit three-point shots kind of like better than Russell Westbrook, realistically. Yeah. He can get you 12 rebounds easily. He's he's a little, he's a thick guy. Like, you could kind of see sometimes he doesn't move very well. I like him to move a little bit better. But they also have the one thing we talked about with Damon CJ. They have chemistry together. They've played years together. Jamal Murray could play off the ball, so Jokic could play point center freakishly. Yeah. Jamal Murray is practically a two-guard with the way he scores. They both have a clutch factor about them, too. Like, Jamal Murray hitting all those free throws in those playoff series down the stretch. I think it was against Portland. He hit, like, eight free throws in the fourth quarter, eight for eight to seal it. Yeah. Jokic, he's... You, good luck stopping him consistently. I mean, he finished fourth in MVP voting with 12 triple-doubles as a giant seven-foot center. In the, in the era of quick and fast people, not big centers, yeah. Exactly. And he they have a lot of good parts around him, and he makes them better. He has that LeBron factor. As a center, he makes people better. And... Uh, this is a little projecting, too. Like, I mean, I know we kind of talked about just next year. I think they're going to be better next year, too. They're one of those teams that stayed together and stayed intact and didn't change. So I'm putting them at three kind of recklessly. Yeah, I, I will say that my only problem with them, and we talked about this a little bit before the show, is uh, Gary Harris is sitting there as a... Is he... Uh, to me, he's just so much a part of that team. We're doing as triplets. what they do offensively. Like, yeah, yeah, if we're doing triplets, they're probably, like, right there in the top. They're probably two. Two, two or one, you know, like pick your poison but and so that's for me I feel like Gary Harris can the reason I don't have him so highly ranked is because you have to kind of put Gary Harris there because you I love Gary's game I just you can't yeah. I just yeah I just I don't know I, I feel like I see more Gary Harris and Jokic I feel like Jokic is the centerpiece on that where Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are playing off of him equally as well but each game would just decide something different you know from what I saw in Jamal Murray in the playoffs, I thought he established himself as that number two guy. I think they were pretty even during the regular season. But in the playoffs, especially against the Spurs, Jamal Murray took over when needed. Gary Harris is awesome. Not even going to say anything to diminish him. It's pick your poison with those two. 
Yeah, that's and that's the only reason I didn't have them there. It's just I just had that hard hard time separating. To each their own. Murray and Harris. And at number four, I'm going to put KD and Kyrie. All the exact same reasons. If they're healthy and KD didn't have the injury, they're probably number three just because they're going to get buckets on anybody. KD has shown the ability to help on defense really well. Maybe not defend so much himself unless he's guarding a smaller guy. Like, I don't see him shutting down the likes of Kawhi or anything like that, but he'll get you some help defense blocks. No, You can't guard him. Kyrie, if you put your best defender on him, Kevin's going to eat no matter what. So I have them at number four. If KD's 80% of what he is before, this is basically where he'll be. If he starts to fall off because of the injury, they might drop a little bit. Number five, I have Dame and CJ. The same reasons. Dame's, in my opinion, the best point guard in the league. CJ, on most teams, if he was playing six-man, he'd be the best six-man in the league. He'd basically be Lou Williams. But since he's starting, he's still really good. I think he's not going to be an all-star, unfortunately, in the West, just because he's playing alongside Dame. He's averaging 20 points, but he's not averaging 26, 25 and, and Dame's giving you the seven assists. CJ's going to give you maybe three or so. Like he's fantastic. If he's in the East, he's an All Star easily because they yeah. don't have the guard depth. He's just basically there's tier one with Dame. CJ's like in that lower end with tier two. Like he's very. He's like the top end of the tier two, bottom end of tier one. He's yeah. very D'Angelo Russell. Like I think just playing the two guard and a little bit cleaner offensively, just because his mid range shot is. He'll take if you give him a shot, he'll take it and he'll make it. So yeah. I have them at five, and they have the chemistry as well. Like that's how I look at them. Basically everything we already talked about it with Damon CJ. I just have him one spot lower because I look at I hold Jokic and Murray in high regard with what they can do and what they have done. And having a point guard and a center, that's a duo that's through the test of time has been difficult to deal with. So Yeah. So we'll let you finish your top ten now. We'll go who do you have at number six? So number six, I noticed you kinda of left him out of your top five as well and, and, and for me I did as well because it's just they're kind of in the same boat where we talked about Jamal and Jokic. Is Clay and Steph to me? Um, do you do Clay? Is it and Clay Steph and Steph or, or Draymond and Clay or Draymond and Steph? Like or D'Angelo Russell and Steph? Or yeah, D'Angelo? like it, it's such a hard mix. But for me, I look at that team, and if they're all healthy, I mean, your top two names on that board is going to be Clay and it's going to be Steph. And notice I put Clay first for a reason. I think that team without Clay is a hollow shell of itself. Than if you put anybody else there, I, I just think Clay is such a such a component for what they do. You talk about how he just runs in circles around people. He sets picks. He plays defense. I mean, as a two-guard, when healthy, I think he's your number one two-guard next to maybe Kawhi. Or it depends if you put Kawhi as a two or a small forward. I mean, in today's game, game who, do you, who do you choose where? Um, so, it, to me, he's 1A, 1B. I mean, it's so hard. He's so good defensively. You got Steph there, so good offensively. And just Draymond is so good average across the board he's not good offensively though and and that's why i can't put him in a top duo with anybody because he's just he's good at sprinting downhill with the ball and sometimes passing but sometimes he dribbles off his foot like against the rockets two years ago he's too he's too head down bulldozer he's like a big russ with a look not quite as athletic unfortunately kind of like how honestly Kawhi was when he was younger Kawhi, Kawhi, in my opinion still needs to tighten his handle but he's definitely gotten a lot better draymond needs to do the same thing um, but yeah, no, so that's why like for six for me is, is definitely Clay and Steph when healthy. Obviously we're just talking about best duos on paper, so I'm able to put this one here and not feel bad about it because <laughs> we don't know how he's going to come off of a major knee surgery and that's going to be a big deal. And honestly, we won't know for another year and a half until the 2020, 2021 season. So whether he shows up in the playoffs this season or not is a whole different story, whether they even make the playoffs. So, I mean... Yeah, for me, there's six because I can't put them higher because there's the Draymond factor. 
I and, wanted to put them higher too. The only reason is, do you, is it D'Angelo Russell right now? Do you put him as yeah. part of that duo too? That's the kind of the thing. Like they're pr- pretty much dead even with Damon Clay, in my opinion, or Damon and CJ. I have them basically dead even. What some do, it's like six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, basically. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why I have them at six. But I mean, it's it's hard to pick against them, but at the same time, it's hard to pick them. If that makes sense, like it's it's just. You, everything about it just tells you you probably shouldn't put him up here but then everything on paper says you're an idiot if you don't put him up here and yeah. one thing about them too is the same thing with Damon CJ where I was like eh, as awesome as they are they play they're both in the backcourt like a lot of these do as you look at the at our top list 80 and LeBron one plays more in the perimeter should be a point guard one is a power forward slash center Paul George and Kawhi a 2 and a 3 a 3 and a 4 a 1 and a 3 a little more position versatility Katie and Kyrie a small forward slash power forward slash could probably be your center if you absolutely needed to. Yeah. I think, and then a guard, Jokic and Jamal Murray, what I said about a point guard inside. They're a little more, there's a little more versatility position wise. I know it's positionless basketball, but it still kind of matters. Positionless basketball, my butt. And then anyway. you look at Steph and Clay, they're both in the backcourt. Steph's a smaller guy. Same with Damon CJ. I mean, it's, CJ's a lot, pretty small for a shooting guard. They're both smaller guys, they're both backcourts, so. You can have a great backcourt, but if your frontcourt's not complimenting, it could hurt. Where these guys, can, where the other duos I have ahead of them, can kind of balance it out a little bit better. Yeah. So that's my six. Uh, number seven, you talk about uh, small guy, big guy. This is kind of, uh, don't get me wrong, Luka's not small by any means, but this is definitely where I put Luka and Kristaps. So you're saying big guy, huge guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, monster of a man versus a monster of a guard. Um, so yeah, Luka, I don't know, Luka's just such so smooth offensively. He's only, what, 20 now? 19 still? 20? 19, 20, yeah. Something like that. And can he have he, a beer? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know if he can even drink a beer yet legally in the U.S., uh, but he, he's fine overseas. Um, <laughs> but no, you just look at him, what he can do. He's kind of like Kawhi in that matter, where that late game shot, he's that dude I want taking that shot. Let's be I honest. Feel, like, I feel pretty comfortable with him pulling that shot with five seconds left and throwing the ball to him. Yeah, like, he, he does. it doesn't matter the angle he has to get the ball off. He can get it off. He has vision a la Steve Nash, in my opinion. Like, he just, his passing ability is just so polished for a young kid. He has the he has the gift of passing. Kind of like we talk about LeBron's been a natural point guard. I think Luka's going to average 23 for his whole career, too. He yeah. scores so smoothly, plus he can pass. He's going to be, he's, he's going to have LeBron's stat line of, like, 25-7-7 and seven his whole career. He's such a mismatch. I mean, what we talk about, we, we kind of, you know, embellished a little bit with saying he was 6'10", but he's what? 6'7", 6'8". Like, come on. He's still a monster of a man. He's Magic Johnson playing point, but he has a better offensive game than Magic did. And a little shorter in a different era, but still. Yeah, exactly. like, he, he's, he is just so good offensively. And uh, granted, we haven't seen Chris Stops for almost a year and a half, two years. Uh, his knee injury took some time. I think he's finally in a place now where we're going to see the unicorn come back out again. We're going to see the full Chris stops we saw before. I don't think he'll be as good as he once was, but even where he's going to be is still going to be better than a lot, a lot of NBA players. He's still going to be a top 15, top 20 NBA player now. And so I feel like those two together, it's going to be fun to watch because Chris stops can spread the floor. He can spread the floor. He can take you off the dribble. He can, he can, he, he can do it if you need him to. He's, it's it's impressive for such a tall, lanky man that's seven foot tall that he can do what he can. And he can cook in the post if you need to. He's not yeah. necessarily a post scorer, but he can pick on some guys if he has Unlike Unlike Carl Anthony Towns, who has a big body but doesn't play down low, Kristaps is like, I'm tall, but I might be skinny, but you know what? I'll take you off any post move in the world. Drop step, hook shot, you name it, he'll do it. So that's, that's my seventh spot. I mean, it, again, it's, it's hard to pick against some of these more established duos, but that's... 
I just feel like what they can do and what they what they've done individually, if you can combine that together into what they can do together, I feel like they just have such a great upside. And then again, in tall point guard, huge center, I got Ben Simmons and Embiid right now at number eight. This thing run into the same issue though we talked about with having two guards. The spacing is just not really there. What is the spacing you speak of? Your center <laughs> is your three-point shooter. Their, their spacing is the paint. Once it's on one <laughs> block, once it's on the other block, and they pass it back and forth, basically, and say good luck to everybody else. But it's, you know, honestly, just it's so fun to watch. Whether, you know, you, if you're a fan of the new NBA and you know, the, all these three-point shots, you're going to hate this choice. But for all of us NBA purists, I won't say purists because I'm not, I'm far thing from a purist, but... All of us that just enjoy watching the game of basketball for what it is, this is a they're just so fun to watch because you don't know what they're gonna do next. I mean, they only play six feet apart from each other in the paint, but yet you get all sorts of crazy picks and rolls and moves that you just don't expect to come from either one of them. And I mean, Embiid for only playing basketball for less than ten years now has been absolutely amazing for what like his skill level right now if you told me he picked up a basketball 10 years ago and I didn't know better I'd be like there's no way it's impossible to believe and Ben Simmons looks all of the future LeBron type of player that he's been claimed to be forever you know minus a jump shot <laughs> yeah and a free throw too granted LeBron's not exactly a staple for free throw consistency anymore but at least for most of his career you could count on him for like 78 to 83 percent usually yeah. But since then, it's kind of turned into some shacking territory. But oh yeah, he's definitely Shaq on the free throw line and LeBron on the floor, though it seems like. So I don't know. I think that's uh, although I think Shaq might have a beat on three point shots. So. <laughs> yeah, he ha- he has made one in his career at least. Yeah, so I mean, um, you know, Ben maybe work on that a little bit. But then again, he knows his game. You know, we talk about it off the jump. Like the one thing with Ben Simmons is he knows what he does well, and he doesn't try to do anything outside of that. For better and for worse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the whole, if you bring a football player into it, it's, do you like Alex Smith to just do what he does, or do you want Patty to just go crazy? Like, it's that, probably a bad example, but considering what Patty just did, but you get what I'm saying. Like, he's just so consistent in what he does that you can't really go wrong with it, but at the same time, you want more. I choose Patty, but anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, so that's my seven pick. Eight is, yeah. It's a weird one. Um, so I, I'm actually putting a lot in this boat for the future. But uh, just based off injury and then coming back. Um, Indiana, though. Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. I, I got a lot riding on that boat because that is a interesting duo, to say the least. Victor Oladipo is fantastic when healthy. He yeah. is a stud when he's 100%. And Miles Turner came into his own last year after Oladipo went down. They still held strong at that 3-4 seat area. I mean, that yeah. part of that's Miles Turner. Yeah, exactly. Miles Turner. I mean, he was a he was a godsend for a team that lost their their number one overall, like their number one player in Victor Oladipo. And let me just say, I've been a fan of Oladipo since he was in Indiana. I don't know what it is with these guys coming out of Indiana that I'm just a fan of watching them play. But they know they know how they know how to teach him some Hoosier basketball and make him in the pros. He's a hardworking guy. He's a no nonsense guy. It's fun to watch. Like he attacks the basket like a young weight. He plays defense. He can shoot. And he can sing, too. I mean, how can you not like a guy who can yeah. sing like that? and honestly, that's what he kind of reminds me of, is that Dwayne Wade type of player. and Kind of that personality, too, where it's just like, on the court, that's your worst enemy. But you know what? After the game, he's cool with everybody. Like, he'll, he wanna dunk, he's going to want to dunk on you and make you look like a fool on the court, but afterwards, he'll dab you up, he'll trade jerseys with you, he'll, tell, he'll ask about the kids, you know? 
and he can kind of play that point guard as a two guard if you need to. That's yeah. like we. Lo- I love Oladipo. I'm with you on that one. I have them ranked differently, but fully agree with you on everything you just said about Oladipo. Yeah, no, and the, and the reason why Miles Turner, I know he has some work to do, but he reminds me of a kind of that young AD style offensive game. Very, very versatile. Can shoot a little bit. Can take you off the post. Very lengthy. Almost too lengthy, honestly, for his own good. Yeah, he's probably he, honestly he probably needs to needs to you know get his shot needs a little refining on it. Obviously, it's it's not as consistent as you'd want it to be. But he's a big man that does, isn't afraid to play in the paint, and that's. Uh, when I get to my next choice is why I have them ranked so low. It's because the big guy doesn't like to play in the paint. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, that's my eight. You know, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner. I'm, I'm riding for you guys. I want them to break a top five, but it's going to be a lot of work for them. And it depends on, obviously, how Oladipo comes back from this injury. Um, so I, I might look like an absolute fool because Oladipo comes back a shell of a man. But then again, I might look like a great man, great wise Prometheus, like picking a, you know, all right, Kelsey Adamas. Yeah, like, you know, come on. I'm, I'm just giving myself two sides here. Or I'll just look like I normally do. It's probably most likely. <laughs> so anyways, so that's my, that's my, uh, the seven? Eight? That's eight. Yeah. So number nine, though. And this one pisses me off beyond belief. We, we saw him, in, we saw him in, in live in person, and I complained about him the whole game uh, when we watched uh, Dwayne Wade's retirement game in Minnesota. That's uh, Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. Probably the biggest disappointing duo of everybody, but they are talent-wise. They can be a top 10 duo on their night. I'm with you with Cap, but Andrew Wiggins, I haven't seen it. He doesn't really defend anymore. When he attacks the paint, it's pretty lazy. He still can't shoot. I love his talent, but... And on paper, I agree with you, but I can't put Andrew Wiggins in top 10 in the same sentence. I can't yeah, do no, it. Yeah, it hurts a little bit. A lot of it, actually. But no, for me, it's Cat. Cat's my disappointment. It's, you look at a guy, he is, what, 6'10", 6'11", like, set, like over 7'3", wingspan. The dude should be bossing the paint. Instead, he looks like a little ballerina trying to take any tiny individual off. And Taj Gibson was a better big man than him, and Taj Gibson is a twig of a man. Like, I just don't get it. Carl Anthony Towns, I I don't understand. You, I loved you coming out of college. I wanted to see what you, you could do in the pros, and you have done nothing but disappoint me. Just, you make Shaq look like an absolute genius for saying you wouldn't be an NBA player. Because right now, you aren't playing like what you should. Like, you should, in every night, he should have 25-plus he should have 10 rebounds. He should be Kevin Love in the paint. But he's just like, no, no, no. I'm going to shoot threes. I'm going to take people off the dribble. It's just it's just not his game. And I know he's probably pressing because he doesn't have the same offensive output that Wiggins was giving him. But you look at Andrew Wiggins, and the reason I say this is the most disappointing deal is because both sides of it is disappointing. It's just like Wiggins, on his night, he is a B-level Jimmy Butler on his night. He can get you 20. He can get you 10 boards, and he'll get you a lot of stops on defense. But when it's not his night... Where's he at? Oh, my goodness. And I, this is, again, this is kind of a, a reach at eight, at 9 for me for a top 10 duos. But when I just look at it, they have all the talent on paper, and they have a lot of time to build more talent. And they do have chemistry together. The two do have really good chemistry together. 
it's just a matter of putting it all from the practice court to the game. And God forsaken, I want to see Cat down low. I am trying so hard to not like just lose my mind on this one. But Cat to me is just... He just has all the abilities to be the greatest big man in the league. He should be up there with the Jokic and the Davis conversation. Instead, it's Jokic, Davis, Nurkic, a whole bunch of guys, Dwight Howard, Carl Anthony Towns. I love Cat's game when he's basically free throw line in because I don't mind him shooting a little mid-range turnaround when he does play down there. But when we saw him bang down low, he still got you 20 and 10, even though he spent a lot of time out of there. I want to see him get you, like, he can get you 28 and 12 to 15. And I want to see the Carl Anthony Towns that play defense at Kentucky. He yeah. still does play a little defense, but he's not a guy that really inspires fear going with paint. I mean, we saw Wade. I mean, granted, no one, Wade's a different – it's probably not the best example because no one's scaring him out of the paint, especially after he destroyed Anderson Vera's house soul with that one dunk way back. He went started 7 of 7, so, I mean, people don't really fear going into the paint on him like I thought they would. But I get what you're saying. Like, it'd be nice to see him down on the block a little more often and not shooting threes or trying to take people off the dribble, really. Yeah, he needs to play more like a cougar and not like a house cat. All right, we're going to so, use... That's a good that's way my to number just, nine. Let's look at number ten. Uh, How do you round 10, this out? So number ten, I, you have a lot of choices down here. You got DeMar, LaMarcus in San Antonio. Um, you got the young duo in Sacramento. As a Kings fan, you'd think I might pick this one in Bagley and Fox or... Buddy and Fox, but I'm not. Uh, you got Memphis um, with Jaron Jackson and uh, John Morant coming up, so that'd be interesting. But I'm not picking that one. I'm not picking Trey Young and John Collins. I talked about that one, uh, but no. Instead, I'm uh, I'm going a little bit off the cuff. I'm going to Utah. I'm I'm actually completely leaving out Jamal Murray and Jokic because I still can't figure out where Gary Harris fits into that triangle, and I feel like it has to be a triangle to work and not just a straight line for that team. So for me. I go to Utah, and I go to the newly formed duo of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell because Donovan Mitchell has shown to be so good so early. And Mike Conley, we don't know where he's been this last two seasons, but he still has moments of just like, oh, by the way, I remember how to play offense. Like, here's here's a couple shots. But, I mean, the one thing that's never been in question is his defense, his grit, and his passing ability. Like, the dude the dude will do anything. He'll put his body on the line for you. He'll get you some, some great looks. But whether or not he actually knocks down his looks is a different question. But he'll, he'll, he'll and he can shut down to the opposing point guard. And so that's going to take a lot of pressure off Donovan Mitchell. And like I said, he's been so good, so young, so early. It's just, it's exciting to see what he can do going forward with somebody like Mike Conley with him. I think on paper, they can be the top a top 10 duo be on a team that's already made the playoffs with Ricky freaking Rubio at point guard. Like at least Conley can knock down one, three a game. Rubio is like, I'm wide open. Oh wait, that's right. I'm wide open. Crap. Let me pass this off. Like, I mean, I could, I could honestly, you probably put Gobert and Donovan Mitchell here as a duo, but I just think overall offensive defensive consider is what I'm looking at for duos. And I just think Gobert doesn't have enough offensive game to put him as a duo with Mitchell. Because that is Donovan Mitchell's team. And I think in this case, it's Michael Conley's chance to be that second duo. Everything you said about Gary Harris, Jokic, and Jamal is how I feel about this one with Gobert. Because he's the defense player of the year, multi-time defense player. He'll still get you 15 and 10. He's averaging 11 rebounds, 2.5 blocks. He's, 
He's almost too good to not include, and the thing with them is Mike Conley is just leaving his prime, where Mitchell is just starting to enter it. I feel like they just missed each other by a couple of years. Fantastic. That team is a starting five. Top five, six team in the West, I think. You throw in Joe Ingles when you talk about classic old man game. Perfect example. <laughs> Gobert and Conley, as a whole unit, they're fantastic. I think that's one of the best start, like the best teams in the West. So I'm going to come in at number six with mine. Everything you said about Clay and Steph is kind of similar. If you say I can't use Clay and you throw in D'Angelo Russell and Steph, they drop farther. If you tell me I have to throw in Draymond, it drops pretty much out of the top ten, unfortunately. But Steph Clay, number six, the exact same thing as Damian Lillard. I'm simply siding a little bit with Dame and CJ just by a smidge because I think Dame's a little bit better than Steph. Not by much, but just a little bit. And I think I think it's just a wash all around. Clay's the best defense player out of all of them. Steph's the best. Not Steph. Dame's the best offensive player. Steph's probably the best at dribble handling the ball. I think CJ's probably got the, a more diverse set of shots, the way he shoots a mid-range. He's, he doesn't just shoot threes or layups where everyone else kind of tends to do. Steph has some good floaters and that little think, one-handed flick shot that he does. Like I think CJ might be the best passer out of the group, too. So like they each take kind of their own We'll disagree category. on that one, but I know what you're getting at. Like, at the same time, it's, it's just a watch. They're the be- two best backcourts in the game right now, in my opinion two of the top six or seven of all time, depending on how you want to look at it. It, it kind of varies in that regard. It, it, it just depends on your choice. Number seven, this one's a little bit, a little more unorthodox, but I'm putting Oladipo and Miles Turner up a little bit higher than you had them. I love Oladipo. If he comes back healthy, fantastic. Miles Turner, he's fantastic. He can get you whatever you need. He's awesome. I kind of like him there. Number eight. This one's kind of weird because it's not really a duo. It's one guy who's fantastic and another guy who had a breakout season in Giannis and Chris Middleton. Giannis is the second best player in the world to me. Kawhi's the best. Giannis is the second best. Next year, I think Giannis, the way he gets better every year, and as soon as that series is over, he doesn't say, like, oh, man, it hurts. He says, I'm going to be better next year. Yeah. He already put on, like, what was it, eight pounds of muscle. He's like, oh, I'll, I can get into lane and dunk on everybody now. Now he's like, okay, I can still do that, but now I'm going to add a decent outside shot, so... If they don't guard me out here, I can make 33% of my threes, 34%. And if I can make a mid-range, I'm going to add a free-throw line extended jump shot to my game. And he's, even if he doesn't do that, he's already could shoot better than guys like Ben Simmons and other guys who can't shoot. <laughs> yeah, sure. he, he is six foot eleven and dunking flat-footed, basically. And Chris Middleton with 20 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, or whatever it was in this breakout season. Plus, they got the shooters around him. I can't leave them off here. I'm putting them at 8. Giannis is also probably, besides Paul George and Kawhi, he's probably the third best perimeter defender. He's yeah. probably a top ten paint defender if you include that too. He's I'd even give him top five overall defender, period. Just like I think he's the third best defender in the league, maybe fourth, depending on how you rank Gobert. Just kinda depends on what you do with him there. Yeah. But I will say the one problem I have with that, Middleton to me. Can Middleton reproduce his success? If he can reproduce his success, I look like an idiot for not putting him up there and you look like a genius. So that's you know, that's that was my only hesitation with putting them up there is, is he a good enough supporting player to be a duo, or is he just a supporting act? Was my biggest question with that duo. And so, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I just hope he can reproduce his success long term because I do love Giannis. I do want to see Giannis succeed and become the greatest player in the NBA. This also has a feel too, like they used to say it about LeBron, like, oh, just put anyone next to him and they're a top, they're a top notch duo. So I think he has that kind of feel to him too. And so I'm gonna put them at, I'm gonna put them at eight. Might seem a little bit low considering he's the MVP, but I'm gonna put them at eight. Number nine, I'm putting Lamarcus Aldridge and Demar Derozan, best two in the mid range game in the NBA. I mean, 
Yeah. Gosh, they are money when they are hitting. DeMar can still fly. They're unfortunately the probably the second oldest duo that we've mentioned. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, I think they might honestly be the oldest. I mean, they combine. They can average over 40, average 15 rebounds, get their assists. They can play off each other pretty well. Probably not the best duo, but I think they're consistent. There's a lot less downside for them. They were a hard one for me to leave out of the top 10 uh, just because of everything they've done in their careers. I was just looking at it more as like, oh, well, crap, they're playing in San Antonio. Like, don't get me wrong, LaMarcus is still going to get his, but DeMar seems to still be struggling with the pop system. He, I'm a, I think he was just still struggling leaving Toronto and seeing them. I'm hoping this lights a fire in him. He's like, okay, they think they can win without me. Watch me average 29 to 30. I thought he could be the leading scorer in the NBA this last season just in the pop system. Didn't quite work out, but I think there's still plenty of time for it to come to, come to fruition. Fruition. Because yeah. Pop does love his mid-range shots. It's... Manu, Manu and Tony lived, lived on that shot, and so did so did uh, Tim Duncan, too. So And he surrounds them with shooters like Patty Mills, so I think there will be, there will be spacing. Ah, Patty Mills. And then number 10, I'm leaving off some of the ones you left off, like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, pure talent, fantastic. Embiid's an all-NBA player, an all-defensive type player. Ben Simmons, he can get you triple-doubles out the you-know-what. He can distribute the ball. They don't fit together. I can't, I can't make it work. <laughs> I, they just can't. I mean... It's tough. I can't do it. So at number 10, I'm going to put an interesting duo here. It's probably not one that you'd mostly think about, but I'm going to put Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum because there's a bunch of other guys. I want to put Gordon Hayward here because I think Gordon Hayward has potential to be the leading scorer on that team. I want to put Jalen Brown here because he's probably one of the better defensive guys, even though his offensive game, I think, kind of is based on everyone else creating for him. Kemba Walker has the best step back in the league, and he could still drop 20. He's... 88% of Kyrie Irving, basically. He's a little shorter, a little bit better of a passing-type guard who's still a shoot-first point guard. He's going to give you 26 points a game. And Jason Tatum, I'm saying we get rookie playoff Tatum as opposed to last year's Tatum. I'm going to put them at 10 with the coaching you have. Tatum can score at all levels. Kemba can score at all levels. I think they're excited to have Kemba, and Kemba's excited to be there. I don't think there'll be as much disconnect like there was this last year. I think, I think they're going to both average over 22 points a game this year, and I think Kemba will give you five to six assists with it. And like we talked about in one of the other podcasts, is I, I definitely think Kemba is the point guard for Brad Stevens' system. As much as we all love Kyrie, and we all see how good he can be, I just don't think Kyrie was a Brad Stevens point guard. And I think Kemba can be that point guard that makes Brad Stevens' career in the NBA look amazing. And I think on the flip side of that, Brad Stevens can make Kemba look ten times better than he already does. And he's already an all-star. Like... I think they looked at it like, like, oh, look what he did with Isaiah Thomas. What magic we could do with Kyrie? I don't think their their personalities, their play styles quite match. They're both score first guys, 100%. They're both, I'm going to get buckets, and I'm going to get brink trucks of money. Yeah. difference is how they get there. Like, Isaiah's was, he played a little more off-ball, a little bit cleaner, getting himself open, running through the screens, where Kyrie's a, I got the ball here, you go stand in the corner, you go stand in the corner, and you watch what I'm about to do this poor man's ankles. Or Kemba's a little more in between those two. He will destroy some ankles, he will step back. But he can play off the ball a little bit cleaner, I believe, too. I definitely think Kyrie is like a like an old-school NFL running back. He's got to get his touches to get in the flow. I mean, if he's not touching the ball, if he's not able to you know, start sizing up dribbles and stuff like that, he does not play as well. We saw it a little bit with LeBron when they played together. So. That's why him and basically LeBron usually sat back in the first quarters, and you saw Caleb and Kyrie both get about eight to eight points each. Get them going, LeBron's like, I'll get in the flow of the game. Yeah. So that's how I have it. I left off Kristaps and Luka Doncic simply because I don't know what Kristaps is going to look like. We have not actually seen them play together yet. Yeah. We haven't seen Kristaps play in two years. 
And Luca, we saw that amazing rookie season. I have no reason to believe he's not going to do that for his whole career. However, I still have to see it, though. Like, I need to see. We saw kind of with Jason Tatum that rookie year. It's like, okay, this guy's a future all-star. This last year is like, well, he's a player on the Celtics. So, and obviously there was a lot more going on there. I'm not naive to that, but I want to see if Luca was a flat. He's not a flash in the pan. I want to see if he takes another step or if he kind of plateaus and then starts picking it up later. Donovan Mitchell, he got a little bit better, but everyone thought he dropped off because it wasn't quite the same. Like, the numbers might have been a little bit better, but the production, like, the number of production is similar, but how you get it and how it affects the game could change. So, he's, I want to see, that's how I feel with both those. Like, I want to see Mitchell, Gobert, Mike Conley, how do they all mesh together? And then Kristaps, Luka, like I just said, we'll see how they play. Your boy De'Aaron Fox, and I just didn't know who to pair him with. Like, I love yeah. Marvin Bagley, but we need more with him. Buddy Hield's awesome. Like, I think they could be one of the better back. They are one of the better backcourts. They almost average 40 together. I think they're going to be good for years to come. Looking around at some other duos, I mean, Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon, that's cool, but I, I don't know. Like, Can we have a big man pairing for duos anymore? Like, is that something that It's weird because Aaron Gordon's not playing small forward, and I know he can shoot better, but I still see him as a power forward. It's kind of... Like Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, I can't do it honestly. I just I love the talent. And one of the other lists I saw ranking the top duos, they have the Timberwolves at twenty three, but they have Cat and Robert Covington. They didn't even include Andrew Wiggins. They included Covington, who I still think should go back to the Sixers because with this Sixers team, with Covington went back to this Sixers team, best defense of since who knows how long it's been. And that they have a three point shooter finally. And then they have somebody who can space the floor exactly. So <laughs> I will say uh, I I can't help but notice we both left. Blake and, and Andre Drummond off. Blake can't stay healthy. Andre Drummond basically gets rebounds and dunks. I don't, yeah. haven't seen much of his. One duo that we both left off that I wanted to put on here so bad, but they can't. They haven't produced any wins yet. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Devin Booker is a top five shooting guard in the league. I don't care what anyone says. I know he hasn't really affected wins as much recently, but he, as far as his game goes, I don't want to. I don't want to guard that guy. I mean, he averaged yeah, twenty-seven yeah. points a game last year. Twenty-six. He was seventh in the league on a terrible team where everyone was like, "Oh, let's guard that guy." Yeah. And then DeAndre Ayton, he showed flashes down the stretch. He was in. If it wasn't for Trey Young and Luka Doncic being the freaks they were down the stretch, he's in contention for Rookie of the Year as well. He's a big man. He has a versatile today's game type of big man. Like, I think he plays the way we want Cat to play because he doesn't have as much of a shot, so he has to be a little closer to the paint. He'll. I think he's going to average twenty and ten within the next couple of years. Booker's going to probably average 30 at some point in his career the way he plays because his game is perfect for today's NBA. He's a modern-day, I don't want to say he's a modern-day Kobe, but like he's a he plays like Kobe in today's era, basically, if Kobe grew up in this era with the jump shot and the way he attacks the basket and the Mamba mentality. I say that in quotes because yeah. I, love, I love that saying because I love me some Kobe, but I hate that saying because it's being overused now. They're like, oh, I had that Mamba mentality. You scored eight in the fourth quarter of a regular season game. That's not really Mamba mentality. Like right it's here. the worst team in the league. Like, exactly yeah. like mama mentalities i think it should be reserved for like playoff big moments that type of thing or like key game big moments not just every time you make a cool shot in the fourth quarter yeah. basically or you have a good fourth quarter so. so i know for for me i have a couple that that might squeak in do you have do you have two two duos that you didn't put in that you think i think the biggest one was booker and Aiden. another one that i think could be interesting we'll see how they they haven't even played so i don't julius randall and rj barrett i think that could be fun i like rj barrett especially that last game where he almost had a triple dub julius randall he's just gotten better they kind of can high-low it a little bit, no pun intended, but they can play at different levels of the game. I think they could be a fun duo if they, and as they grow together, Julius could be that older figure who's seen some stuff in the league, he's played in the two biggest markets in the, in the world, basically, as far as L.A. and New York, plus he's had some time in New Orleans next to Anthony Davis and them, so they'll, they'll be, I think that'll be a, 
I don't think the Knicks are going to be good anytime soon, but I think those two will grow together and be formidable, assuming the Knicks don't screw it up in Nick fashion. Yeah. For me, I have a, I actually have Zion and Drew Holiday as one of the duos that could be fun to watch coming in the future. This Just, thing I had actually did have them ranked actually higher than those ones. I think they had them in the, they had them in 18, so that's Yeah, I just think they, they, there's so much upside to what Zion can do. And again, we have not seen him in a full NBA game, but just given the spacing in the NBA game, there were so there was a report that came out about that, how he's still looking forward to it. He has every right to be looking forward to the spacing in the NBA game. He is, in my opinion, his game is built for the NBA. He is Blake Griffin with some extra, I think. I yeah, and I think, his, I think his shot isn't as bad as a lot of people. He definitely needs to get that hitch where he rolls his, his wrist back before he's taking the shot. That needs to get out of his, his shot, but... With that said, I mean, I've seen worse jump shots in the NBA be successful. Sean Marion. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, there's him or got Mar- Marcus Candy yeah. and... Kevin Martins was a little bit off to the side. Yeah, Kevin Martins' swing shot. I can't even call it a slingshot. It's just literally a swing shot. But yeah, so they're, they're definitely my most likely to pop into this. And then you mentioned Kemba and Jason Tatum. I... <sighs> Honestly, it's gonna be Kemba and somebody for Boston is gonna break into the top ten list next season. And I feel I might look silly for picking Tatum, but it's like he's shown so much talent. All the people that quote unquote know basketball in these major outlets say he, they believe in him being the guy. So yeah. I'm gonna stick with it because I saw what he did in the playoffs. He has that Kobe type game, like coming off little picks, catching the ball in the pocket, and pulling up from anywhere that's needed, driving, creating his own shot. But last year it felt like he had all the bad parts of Kobe Bryant without the good parts in certain moments. I still trust him to get... He's going to average 25 a game at some point in his career, I believe. I wish it was Marcus Smart. I hope Marcus Smart can learn, can can get an offensive game this season. I know I've been hoping for Marcus Smart to get an offensive game for the entire time he's been in the pros. But, it, it, I mean, he is just so good defensively. If he gets an offensive game to be just a 3-and-D guy, he could pair with Kemba as a, as a quote-unquote duo, and that would be probably a top... That's got to be a top-ten duo. I mean, who would want to go up against... Bulldog Marcus Smart and Kemba dancing all over you and hitting you with a step back and watching you literally ending careers. I mean, that wasn't Mikey Moore or whoever it was that was guarding him for Pitt in the college. He was a top five draft pick, supposedly. One step back later, he doesn't even get drafted in the first round. So, you know, that's something to be said about that. That's definitely an interesting one. I think this is going to be a fun season. We're going to revisit this the, towards the end of the NBA season, maybe even at midpoint, just so I can see how stupid we look or how genius we look at some points. We're going to come back to this. I think this is going to be fun. I, I can't wait for this NBA season. Like I love the NBA. The last few seasons have been a little bit like, Ugh. basically going back to... It's tough to go back to because of how far it's been. Because, I mean, when LeBron went to the Heat, you basically knew they were going to be in the finals every year. It was like, who did they play coming out of the West? So that was kind of interesting, but at the same time, it was like, well, half the damn NBA is already eliminated. And then, even after that, it was like, okay, he's back in Cleveland, but it's the Cleveland and the Warriors every year. I mean, this is the first time it's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, we might actually have a little bit of uh, duplicity in the NBA for for once. It's it's not going to be predetermined. I'm excited to see the betting odds, too. Like, everyone's going to pick the Lakers and the Clippers as the top two. We all agree on that, and that's rightfully so. We pick them as our top two. Yeah. But at the same time... 
any slight thing, maybe the ancillary parts don't work in L.A. Maybe L.A. LeBron, because he is the king of drama, unfortunately, maybe that kind of spikes things weirdly. Maybe DeMarcus loses his mind and punches somebody in the face. We do not know how things can go. Hey, and maybe DeMarcus turns back into Sacramento, DeMarcus, and then it's an not old a dynamic. boogie, and then all of a sudden it's just like... And then suddenly the Lakers win 79 games somehow, yeah. and it's not fun. Who knows? But it'll be, it's, <laughs> it's interesting right now compared to previous years. So. And then, I mean, we, the one team we didn't talk about anything about a duo with, and probably is still considered a dangerous team in the East, is Toronto. I wanted to, because I love Pascal Siakam. I think he's a stud. I just don't know, do you say Marcus All? Do you yeah, say Kyle there's, Lowry? That's... There's no pairing that you can have with him for sure. And that's, but the thing with, and there's just this thing with, there's just so much, so many options in the NBA that uh, you just don't know who's going to be, who's going to really do anything because there are some teams that don't have duos that can be, successful in today's game so we'll see It'll and then there's easy. like jimmy butler and the heat depending who do you pair him with justin yeah exactly <laughs> so like there's a lot of fun coming up in the nba this year oh yeah for sure so before we uh close out the show let's go ahead and finish up we got tomorrow the nfl franchise tag deadline starts it is tomorrow at noon so out of the guys still possibly to be franchise tagged do you have any that you think might be a Bigger deal. We got basically Javion Clowney, Robbie Gold, a couple guys like that. Grady Jarrett for the Falcons is a big one for me. He proved himself to be one of the. He turned proved himself to be very Aaron Donald like, especially in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. I know they lost, but he had what three sacks. He's a force of nature. That fourth down stop. He's one of the better defensive tackles in the league. I don't. He's only what twenty four. He's a young guy, and he's already he's a stud. Twenty six years old. I just saw the number. Sorry about that, but. You gotta keep him if you're Atlanta. He is your defense. You gotta find a way to keep him. They're I know like they're saying they're confident they'll get something done. I don't think there's gonna be any issues, but if you keep him, I think you have a chance to be a playoff contending team. I mean, I know the Saints in that division, it's like, all right, everyone get out of the Saints way, but they've proven that division is up and down. Nobody wins it two years in a row, it seems like. This could be I love Atlanta with Calvin Ridley. I love the parts they have around Matt Ryan. I love both running backs being healthy. The defense they have built comfortably the last few years. So Grady Jarrett's the big one for me. I was like, you got to find a way to keep him. I don't know how you do it. I don't, I'm not a salary cap expert. I don't know what they're looking at money-wise. You're not going to replace him very easily, and if you do, you're really lucky. So you got to keep him, sign him, forget the franchise tag. You did it so he didn't hit the free agent market early. Don't make him play this year on the franchise tag because very rarely does that work out, it seems like, especially when they're, not, when they're talking about holding out. You don't want him holding out because holdouts, more often than not, something bad happens with his injury or they just they, they're not in shape, so it doesn't work. So... Sign that man. Yeah. I definitely feel the same. Uh, for me, it's Jadavian Clowney with the Texans. I mean, if I'm the Texans, I'm looking at my my defensive line. I'm like, we need him. Like, don't get me wrong. We've talked about how many questions we both have about Jadavian Clowney and his actual dedication to the game. And his pass rushing ability, realistically. Yeah, his actual ability, yeah. But when he, when he is on, just like we talked about with all these other guys, when it's his day, I mean, he, he is the guy that killed the Michigan running back. And he literally picked up the ball looking like the Predator. Like, I mean, he is that man. He, weirdly enough, reminds me, he, like, he reminds me of, like, Joey Porter back in the day with the Steelers. Like, Joey Porter is probably a little bit better of a pass rusher, but the way he plays the run, he's probably the best, one of the best run-playing edge guys in the league because I've watched plenty of his games. He has such a unique way of looking like he's going outside with his explosively stupid fast first step for a big man. And then slicing right inside on the tackle, and then immediately meeting the running back. He he does that really well, and it's scary how well he does that. 
the thing is, when it comes to pass rushing, I don't how I feel like technique-wise. Sometimes his hands seem a little stiff, getting underneath the tackles, rounding the corner. His hips are a little squared. Like, still a fantastic player. I mean, I think any of us wouldn't mind having him on our team. Like, I think the Texans, they, I don't want them to fall into the idea of like, oh, we have J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. We'll be okay because having yeah. all three of them is what makes you guys kind of scary, honestly. Like, if you didn't, don't have all three of them, it's a little easier to stop because Merciless is awesome, but you can kind of contain him. J.J. Watt's not quite as freaky as he used to be. Now he's basically a guy that bats the ball down. So, I don't know. I think you've got to find a way to keep him. Or you, or if you get rid of him, you replace all that money and put it on the offensive line. Because yeah. Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson, <laughs> while he held the ball and didn't always read quickly, a lot, probably 50-50 he was running for his life like, oh my god, I'm about to die and I don't even have the snap yet. Yeah, no. I mean, you have a treasure trove and a quarterback in Deshaun Watson. Top 10 it, quarterback it, in the league, arguably, right now. Even. Yeah, I mean, coming off injury, he, he played out of his mind last season. If so, if you don't sign Jadavion Clowney, you need to sign Jadavion Clowney. But if you don't, for some reason, you're the Texans, yeah, you better spend all of that. Every ounce of money that was going to Clowney needs to go to an offensive line and a fullback and a blocking tight end. You name it, you got to put him out there and you have to protect Deshaun Watson because otherwise there goes another car season again. Like, it's just going to be that type of level. You find a way to build a wall in front of that man, that would keep White Walkers away and let him just throw to DeAndre Hopkins. Who cares about anyone else going out on the route? I know you have Will Fuller and guys, but you just let DeAndre run around. He will get open, and you let Deshaun Watson survive. There's a reason DeAndre Hopkins is a 99 overall on Madden 20. And and the only offensive player of all those two. So, I mean, this is the only wall we will condone building. It's the one in front of Deshaun Watson. So, anyways, getting to the rest of the NFL offseason. Any other news you want to talk about? Well, I think the biggest thing we saw in the NFL recently was the Raiders offensive lineman, Richie Incognito, getting suspended for two games by the NFL. It's kind of interesting. That's the most Raider thing I've heard in the offseason so far. Yeah, definitely. You think with a name like Incognito, I mean, we all know know and love at all as men the Incognito mode. You think with a name like that, you know how to keep out of trouble. I mean, God knows Incognito mode has saved many a men. Yeah, not exactly stand out of the limelight there. And with them being a hard knocks coming up too, this should this should be a fun hard knocks season on HBO with them. What is it with Richie Incognito on hard knocks though? This is the second time. Like with, I have third time, isn't it? Because he's been with the Texans, the Dolphins, and now the Raiders on hard knocks. You might be, yeah. I guess where he goes, fun stuff follows. So I guess you just got to keep him on there. But man, change the last name finally. Do something. Make it make us all feel better about it. Like Jesus. Richie Incognito. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. like... Anyway, then we look forward to NFL free agency. We kind of missed the big hubbub that's already over, but there's still some pretty good names out there. Is there any of them that, what one really sticks out to you that you think could help a team out going into training camp or even if there's an injury at training camp? Uh, I think there's a couple out there that I'm, I'm really looking towards. Uh, Eric Berry. I mean, if you know me, you know how much I love Eric Berry, and especially uh, the Eric Berry for Heisman song. Uh, look <laughs> it up on YouTube if you don't know what it is. It's by far the gem of all gems to come out of Heisman campaigning ever um but no no honestly yeah i do love eric berry i do think he could be stepping to any team right now it doesn't have a safety and definitely stir up a hole with an average level safety he's not the same eric berry as before he's He's, gonna be average to above average but he he's gonna be better than you know he jeff heath from dallas or he's you know a lot of safeties that are still starting somehow He's not the best safety in the league like I think he was at his peak, but I still think he's a starting-level safety when he's healthy. Health is the biggest concern if he can stay healthy. For sure. And the other one is Michael Crabtree. I think Crabtree, uh, veteran receiver, the guy's hands are glue. I mean, you 
he's probably one of the few guys that still catches the ball with his hands. So he, he doesn't drop too many. If he does drop it, he'll probably be the first to admit it. I mean, I think he can step into a young receiving core, kind of provide that that balancing, like we saw with Reggie Wayne with a young receiver core and indie type of thing. Um, we can see the same sort of thing. I think he'd be fun in a team like Kansas City, too, that just needs a guy to catch the ball. You don't know what's going on with Tyreek Hill, and really you don't really want to know what's going on with him necessarily. They drafted that young speedster out of Georgia. They have Travis Kelsey. They just He could be old, reliable, get some first downs, that sort of thing. Just a guy that Patty could be like, oh, my God, and Michael Crabtree's open. Exactly, yeah. He could be that sure-handed third-down guy, what old Steve Breston used to be for the, the old Chiefs. And it, hell, even just in the red zone, you throw phase to Crabtree and feel pretty comfortable with it too. Because eventually teams are like, "Oh, let's double team Travis Kelsey." Eventually teams will learn to slow him down, yeah. which the Colts in the playoff game did not. For example, they let Travis Kelsey eat them alive. Yeah, don't get me wrong. The Chiefs—they don't seem to be a team that likes to score in the red zone. They seem to score outside of the red zone every time. They it must does, score from amazing. the opposite twenty, not the real twenty. <laughs> yeah, but if I mean, you, like you mentioned Tyreek Hill, we don't know what's happening there. We don't. The run game is still questionable, so. Inside the red zone, you got to have more than just Travis Kelsey to throw to. It's it's kind of a proven fact. You can't just have one target. I mean, the only team that successfully done it with one target was the old school Chiefs with Tony Gonzalez, because well, it's Tony Gonzalez. And even then, they weren't really winning Super Bowls with him, unfortunately. Like yeah. they wanted to, and he's fantastic. But and they need something because Andy Reid can't scheme up these magic like fifty reverse double lateral quarterback reverse backwards catapult shot trick plays that he's known for so they gotta have a they gotta be able to just run a simple halfback dive tight end stick maybe like slant out route combinations high low reads just stuff like that to basically run simple plays that work effectively like new england's done their entire career yeah i mean they do it with small guys too so you just be able it's just got to be a simple offensive game plan in the red zone and as much as we love Andy Reid, it's I don't think he knows simple from anything. Exactly, and I think Michael Crabtree can help with those simple plays. Yep. A couple other guys that I'm looking at that pop up in my JGI, the running back who was on the Eagles lot, who was on the Eagles, that torn ACL I think kind of hurt a little bit of his value and his interest, especially coming in October. He's not a young guy, but he's not an old guy. I think a team that could really use him like a team maybe like the Colts who could just use another running back, just a guy that can bang ahead, get you four yards. I know Marlon Mack was really good. They have some young pieces like Naeem Hines, who's Darren, who's a modern-day Darren Sproles. They got some other young runners. They might not sign him. But a team like that could really use the services if he can come back 90%. I mean, he was a touchdown maker for the Eagles and the Dolphins. I mean, he yeah. he can just move the chains. He's your prototypical running back. Hand him the ball and let him run, and everyone get back out of the way. And a sneaky team for him that could do well. That They, don't, they already have a starter, but Seattle – could do well with a JHI style runner. They do like ha, they do really well in that multiple running backs. Seems like these years, Cons- trying to replace Marshawn Lynch with one guy just hasn't worked. So yeah, he'd be a good fit there. And another guy that I really liked him coming out early in his career, but he hasn't quite panned out is Corey Legit. He's a defensive tackle. He's drafted by the Chargers. He's d- he's done pretty well. I mean, I kind of want the Chargers to keep him and to bring him back, but. He hasn't really done as much as you'd hoped to be a first-round pick. He was injured for 10 games last year. He hasn't played the full season in I don't even know how long, like maybe since 2012, 2013, something like that. But I think he'd be a good run defender, push the pocket a little bit, just a rotational guy. If someone could bring him in, especially if there's an injury or a holdout or something like Grady like Jarrett holds out and you, for some reason Atlanta does just wants to be difficult, maybe what you could do is bring him in and just have him compete and be part of the rotation even when you get Jarrett back. So 
you could save those guys for the playoffs. You can rotate on long drives that the offense is giving you difficulty. It's like ten plays in, you could start shuffling people through. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you, you're right though. He does need to go back to the Chargers because that provided the Chargers with the depth and the inside attack. I mean, he he mostly he, was he, it? Yeah, eh, he split inside time in with uh, Ingram in there. But I mean, you got Joey Bosa out there just. Joey Bosa hanging around the edges. You just want a little bit on the inside, yeah, just so it's not, them. just so it's not jelly. And you have no linebackers in Sandy in sorry L A. Unfortunately, yeah, but L A. San Diego, bullcrap. But you're like nine deep at defensive back, and you have a bunch like when they in the playoff game against the the Ravens. It's like oh the Lamar Jackson running game. How do we stop it? Most teams go big. They bring in their big personnel. They're like nah, we're gonna throw in our dime look, and then they just had seven DBs because three of those safeties like Derwin James could do anything. Yeah, Derwin James is a young promising superstar. And then just the, the way yeah. they call plays and the way they set it up. They did it against New England, and they didn't do it very smartly. They did not change the game plan whatsoever from what they did against the Ravens, so they tore that apart. But I think they they need the defensive line to be solid with legit to help keep people off of those safeties if they do that again. So I think he's a good fit in L.A. too. I think that's probably the best fit for him. Yeah, I mean, and they got Casey Hayward out there, you know, basically put that man on an island and watch him defend their best receiver. Probably one of the top three to five corners in the game. You got Jason Brett, but he's healthy, a top-notch corner. They, they're they deep at corner. They got they got corners all yeah. over the place. They so. got Denard King, too, who made who's an all-pro kick returner. But yeah. at the same time, he, he can play some corner for you, too. Put him in the nickel. They, they're really deep at DB. They have one of the best front four-slash-threes in football. They just keep Corey legit in there. Don't sign for too much, but let him be a rotational piece. That's a good, probably the best fit for him. Absolutely. And... Speaking of guys that I would like to see them go back to one of their previous teams, Kelvin Benjamin is out there. He has been absolutely <laughs> awful for a lot of his career, unfortunately. He was terrible with the Bills. A few things saying, like, hey, you should go to the Giants, put him next to Shepard. I want to see him just go back to the Panthers. I want him to just go back there, play opposite DJ Moore, who I think is also another guy who's going to make a Pro Bowl or two in his career. I think he's going to be fantastic. But just go be a big target for Cam, who's kind of struggling a little bit with health, unfortunately. So just... Someone who has such a big radius. You know Cam's not going to throw you the perfect ball all the time. It's it's his MO for his career, but he'll give you opportunities usually. He's not scared to throw the ball. Yeah. Just go out there and be huge, Kelvin. Catch a jump ball and don't complain about Cam's accuracy issues after you get traded to the Bills with Josh Allen, who, while was actually really good as a rookie, accuracy is not his forte. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can use Josh Allen and accuracy in the same sentence anymore. I think it's that's the only time I'm allowed to do it is that sentence right there. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I like I would I would like you know Kelvin Benjamin back in the Panthers isn't a bad idea. I will say though, uh, for me, I honestly think he needs to make a position change. We do it in Madden all the time. We switch him to tight end, and he's one of the best tight ends in the league. I honestly think at this point, make him a receiving tight end, and you're good. Um, otherwise, I don't know if he can resuscitate his career. I don't think he can play out wide in today's league unless it's just for jump balls. I he's just too a little slow. He's not as athletic as he used. I think that injury did not help him either. And it's weird that the one year he's injured, the Panthers have their best year and go to the Super Bowl. So I I don't know about his career. I'd like to see him succeed. He seems like a good guy, but there's some work to be done there. Yeah, it's amazing what happens at you know, breakout years in Florida State and then all of a sudden he goes to the NFL and just is Rookie year, it's like, oh, wow, this guy is going to be something. In a year that we saw Mike Evans as well as Odell Beckham, Sammy Watkins kind of when he's healthy. Yeah. But then after that, it's like, oh, where'd he go? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. And NFL free agency should be a little more fun once it gets closer to the training camp time and we see all the holdouts and all of that. So. 
Speaking of holdouts, Melvin Gordon, the LA Chargers running back, saying he wants more money or he's going to hold out or demand a trade. I like Melvin Gordon, but I feel like this is a little bit... I don't think he has a full two legs to stand on with this one. Yeah, I mean, I it's hard to hard to get behind him on this. Like, it's one of those weird things where he's a running back, so it's like, okay, yeah, he's a productive running back, yeah. But let's be honest, your first season in the league, you didn't score a touchdown. And, and you haven't been injuries. able to stay healthy on top of that. I mean, I don't yeah. know if he's ever played a full 16 games. And if he has, he's been in the league for three years. One of them had no touchdowns. Last year he had injury issues. Even going to that playoff game, he's not 100%. And LA's deep at running back. They got like four guys they like to give the ball to. Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, I don't know, man. Melvin Gordon. I you know again another guy coming out of college, coming out of Wisconsin. You're just kind of like, wow, he's gonna be really good. He's a guy you want on your team, and I really I like his game. He's a top ten running back. Some not, some days he can be a top five with his versatility. It's just he's not a game breaker necessarily either. He's not Zeke or Gurley or Le'Veon Bell. I, and it's funny you said mentioned Zeke because to be honest, if Zeke keeps up his little off-field incidents. I would love Melvin Gordon to replace Zeke for the Cowboys. As a Cowboys fan, I would love that because... You know Melvin Gordon's yeah. not going to get suspended for something silly like exactly. that. Exactly. And, and that's kind of his problem with, you know, the holdout is he's so under the radar that a lot of people don't even follow him. That You know, they're like, Melvin who? Oh, the oh. guy that didn't score touchdowns his r- rookie year? Like, that's what he's big, most known for. It's not... The, the fact, fact that he's, he's a Pro Bowl running yeah, back, really. and he's really good, and he's just on a Chargers team that's old. <laughs> and that's really good, but their window's getting smaller, and Keenan Allen's the guy who's kind of stepped up out of nowhere and turned into that dude as far as offensive playmakers. Mike Williams last year came out of nowhere. like We kind of knew him as the seventh pick, but he was injured that first year. And then last year, it's like, hey, I'm still here, guys. Don't forget, I'm awesome. Yeah. And don't forget, I can score touchdowns. There was a reason that I led Clemson to a national championship game. Like, hey. Hey, look at me scoring the game-winning touchdown and two-point conversion against the Chiefs. What do you know? Yeah. So they... They don't really need him as much as so it, he doesn't have a lot. That's why I say he doesn't have a lot of ground to stand on. Is it's not like he is the Chargers' offense. He's a fantastic piece. He makes the Chargers' offense look probably one of the better ones in the league, except when they play the Patriots, of course. But he's he's unfortunately a little bit. I don't want to say replaceable because that sounds that's terrible to say. But as far as the running back position goes, unless you're one of those top three to five guys, you're very replaceable. And he's probably in that seven to eight range. And honestly, we saw even if you are one of those top three guys, and Todd Gurley last season, he is replaceable and especially if you're a good running back in a good system like yeah i think while james Conner had a good year there was a difference between him and Le'Veon bell like james Conner's really good i like him he'll be a good running back Le'Veon bell on that team that team is probably in the super bowl honestly yeah even though they were a mess and i don't trust ben roethlisberger that much honestly any especially when he's the lead guy on offense when he was when he had the defense the running game and the bounce he's a good quarterback with those other super bowl teams Right now, where he's leading the offense and he's basically the man, what we saw with AB, all the issues, Le'Veon Bell, all the issues. Like, I don't know. I think I think that Le'Veon Bell last year, there a lot more before, especially with a Juju Smith-Schuster broke out. I mean, that dude's going to be a Pro Bowl receiver for years to come. He can, I think he's 21 years old. He can finally have a shot of champagne after the Pro Bowl, I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, that I don't know. It, that's It's tough to look at, though. And it's a running back position that you kind of like – if they don't ask for money early, when do they get their money? Do they get it late? And we see nowadays they're not really getting paid late. It's like, it's a hard thing for a running back to ask for money like this and to hold out. We saw it with Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he had, he had, he had to had sit out a season. He suspension like, basically yeah. one time because him and LeGarrette Blunt 
well decided to do what Legarrette Blunt and him like to do, basically. Legarrette yeah. Blunt, he's named for a reason. Let's exactly. Just put it that that's way. A, yeah. So that's and other than that, he's been fantastic. A minor injury here. That I think he's missed like what two or three games due to injury, something like that. He's been yeah. fantastic, and the Steelers kind of did him dirty. Which, yeah. so I don't. It seems on. It seems weird, and I don't think anyone will agree with me. But take the franchise tag out of the NFL. It's I hate it, and it's situations like this with Le'Veon Bell or Drew Brees. You can franchise a guy twice. And suddenly they're too old and no one really wants to pay them because the NFL is a short window game. Get yeah. your money and get out. Yeah, it's it sucks that the NFL has this whole uh, franchise tag. It's cool for some things, but like we saw it with Demarcus Lawrence. I'm a Cowboys fan, and it's hard to sit there and watch one of your favorite Cowboys go through this, and you don't blame him as a fan. You're like, all right, yeah, you need to get your money, especially as a lineman, as a running back, a position that takes a lot of hits and a lot of hits to the head. I mean. You got to get paid. And you got to get paid early, because otherwise you don't seem to get paid. And if you're gonna do that franchise tag, you can't. You shouldn't be able to franchise a guy twice for sure. Yeah, he's, he's got to be limited to one, or like even Kirk preferably not. We saw Kirk Cousins kind of go through it too. It's like I know it's a lot of money right there. Like it's the if I'm not mistaken, it's still like the average of the top five highest yeah. paid guys. And the second year, it's like twice that or something like that. Because I know they're talking about if Kirk Cousins got it again. He'd be making like forty million or something. Like obviously, no one's going to complain about franchise tag money. The problem is. It's kind of like this way. Would you rather get paid your entire life? Like, say you you know you're going to make a million dollars in your whole life. Would you rather get it all at once, or would you rather get paid periodically throughout? That sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously, we all like to hope we make more than a million dollars in our life if we work from the time we're 16 to the time we're 70. But you get the point. Like, you don't want to get all your money at once because then you're basically in save mode your whole life. Yeah. You want to be – and as an NFL player, you're going to be in save mode your whole life, but you want to have a nice chunk to start saving with. You don't want to just have $21 million per save. That's just a rough number. Say from his rookie year contract and then the franchise tag, let's say that's $21 million he's made. He doesn't want to have to – obviously, we would all like that. We would love to just have $21 million no matter how we get it. But at the same time, if you're a smart person, you want to you want to have a nice chunk built for the rest of your life, your kids' life, the kids' kids' life, all that stuff. Yeah. So, that, anyways, that's – yeah. That's pretty much how I feel about it. Is there anything else you wanted to add at the end here? Nah, check us out. Continue to check us out on Spotify, Anchor. Overcast, we just got added to Overcast. Uh, we got a YouTube channel. You'll find it in the link on our Facebook pages. Just continue to check us out. And with NFL season fast approaching, we're going to probably change upload dates. We'll see once that gets a little closer to the NFL regular season. We're going to have training camp coverage. We're going to have NBA season starting. We're going to have the playoff time, the home stretch in baseball coming up, college football. We're going to be covering all some really good fights coming up. We'll probably touch more on next week. The fights this week were pretty good. It was nice to see Uriah Faber turn back the clock with the fastest finish of his career. Feel for Aspen Ladd getting just taken out in seconds in her quote-unquote hometown. There's some really big fights also coming up in addition to these ones. I just touched on these ones. They did, they're really good, just not quite big-time box office, box office fights. So we'll talk more on some other fights coming up. we got all sorts of coverage we're going to be working on. Continue to stay with us, and thank you very much for tuning in. This is Hilo Sports. I'm DJ. That was Kelsey. We'll see you again next week.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone.